Father, would you open our hearts and minds to the power of your word, the power of your presence, as we meet in your presence by your Holy Spirit. May we be very aware of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Do not be afraid. Fear not. Those words appear again and again in the events surrounding the birth of Jesus. They are spoken by angels to Zechariah, Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds. And over the next few weeks of Advent, we're going to prepare, as we prepare once again to celebrate Christmas, we're going to explore this fear that was felt. We're going to compare it to some of our own fears and learn what the heavenly messengers meant when they proclaimed the words, do not fear. There are, of course, many different types of fear. There is, for example, the newly identified FOMO, the fear of missing out, that feeling or perception that others are having more fun, living better lives or experiencing better things than you are. Have you experienced FOMO? And of course, since, well, there are other uh, fears we could have. To add some acronyms of my own, the FOF, fear of failure, ever had that? Or FOGO, fear of growing old? Or FOFO, the fear of falling out with people, or simply FOOPs, the fear of what other people say. And of course, since the beginning of the pandemic, a heightened sense of FOD, the fear of dying. And that's not to mention all those specific fears that people have, such as crowded spaces, or spiders, or snakes, or flying. So what sort of fear was Zechariah experiencing? And is that a fear we share? That's our first point this morning. And our second point will be, how did Gabriel, uh, what did what he say, deal with that fear and move Zechariah on from his own concerns and fears to the plans and purposes that God had for him? And then our third point this morning is going to be learning to distinguish between what is a right fear and a wrong fear of God. So firstly, Zechariah's fear. When Gabriel appeared to Zechariah while he was serving alone in the temple in Jerusalem, Zechariah's first reaction was a tangible, terrifying fear. So have a look with me at verse 12. It's on the back of your service sheets. We read here, verse 12, when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. Startled is quite a bland way of translating the first of the two words that Luke uses here to convey Zechariah's fear. Of course he was startled. There was an angel standing in front of him. But the Greek word terasso has more to it here. It means to be troubled, agitated, disturbed, to cause an inward commotion, take away a calmness of mind confused, disquieted, rendered anxious or distressed. And you can see why it was just the right word to describe Zechariah's reaction, because he felt all those things at once. It's the same word used to describe King Herod's reaction 
to being told by the wise men that a new king of the Jews had been born. This wasn't an enjoyable uh, startle, like when a good friend comes up behind you and puts their hand over your eyes and says, guess who? This was deeply disturbing to Zechariah. He felt threatened by Gabriel's presence. To use the second phrase in verse 12, he was gripped by fear. Literally, fear fell on him. Have you had that experience? Suddenly, one moment you're fine, next moment you're gripped by fear. The Greek word for, for that sense of fear is phobos, from which we get the word phobia. It contains a sense of terror. This was the fear the disciples felt when they saw Jesus approach them on Lake Galilee and they thought they were seeing a ghost. And there's also a sense of, here in this word, of, of, a, of a sense of awe and trembling and respect and deference. Just like you might expect if you, if you were called to visit the head teacher or if you got an official looking letter through your letterbox or a policeman knocked on your front door. I've often thought, often thought how exciting it would be to meet an angel face to face. But there doesn't seem to be Zechariah's experience. He is terrified. So what we could say here is that Zechariah is experiencing something here of the, the fear of the supernatural. The fear of being exposed, of being held to account, found guilty, having one's life brought to an abrupt end by being in the presence of a power that's far greater than you. It's a fear as old as the Bible. Right back in the first few pages of the book of Genesis, we find Adam saying to God, having just eaten the forbidden fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. Zechariah's reaction to Gabriel's arrival looks like the same sort of fear, that urge to take a step back away from God and all who represent him and hide away in the shadows with all our sins and mistakes. Which is true, I think, of, of all sometimes the things that we, we fear. For years, my inability to swim and my fear of drowning kept me far away from a public swimming pool and open water. Perhaps like a fear of flying might keep you away from an airport. Or the fear of failure stop you embracing a new challenge. So I wonder if you've ever experienced this same sort of fear. And is it the sort of fear that, that leads you to draw away from God? And it keeps you from getting really involved in church life. Fearful of what the Lord will want from you if you get too close. See, Zechariah's religion had been full of predictable ritual all his life. A life lived within the safe confines of what is to be expected, what is natural and earthly. But this visitor draws back the veil and shows him for a moment what lies on the other side, what is supernatural and heavenly. And before we look at what Gabriel then says to Zechariah, it's worth reflecting on what our society has done with Zechariah's fear. Bertrand Russell, in his book, Why I'm Not a Christian, written back in 1957, sees this fear as one of the chief reasons for being an atheist. He said religion is based primarily and mainly upon fear, fear of the mysterious, fear of defeat, fear of death. Science can help us get over this craven fear in which mankind has lived for so many generations. 
So atheists like Russell sold us the idea that if you liberate people from the belief in God, you will liberate them from fear. But over 60 years later, and what has happened is in fact exactly the opposite. Take God out of the picture and our fears are still there. In fact, our fears and anxieties have grown to often take first place in our hearts. Gone is the sense of being part of a bigger plan, of being created with a purpose, with a meaning and an identity. In fact, as though it's dealt with some fears, you know, it's given us vaccines, but it's also given us other things to worry about, like nuclear holocaust and global warming. Our culture, says theologian Michael Reeves, who wrote the book uh, Rejoice and Tremble, is necessarily becoming ever more neurotic, ever more anxious about the unknown. Indeed, ever more anxious about anything and everything. So we're much more anxious and fearful than our Christian forebears a hundred years ago. And my overwhelming memory of reading Bertrand Russell's book as a student is that Russell hadn't the first idea about real Christianity. Russell looks at Zechariah's fear and assumes that he is just where God wants him and us to be, cowering in a corner. But we find exactly the opposite happening. Which brings me to my second point this morning, Gabriel's good news. Have a look at verse 13. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Zechariah is not to fear. Gabriel has not come to condemn. The God in whose presence he stands has sent him with good news. Zechariah is not to be troubled or agitated or disturbed. He's not to be disquieted or anxious or distressed. He's not to shrink back in terror. These are not the reactions that God wants from him, not for the recipient of someone for whom the Lord has good news. And it really is good news. A long-for prayer is to be answered. His wife, Elizabeth, is to give birth to a son. And this son will be great in the sight of the Lord. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He will bring back many people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of the prophet Elijah to make ready a people prepared for the Lord himself to come. So all those years that Zechariah and Elizabeth must have cried out, Why, O Lord, are there children for others but not for us? To discover in this moment that it was all part of God's great plan of salvation. God had been listening to their prayers and was answering them in his own way. The Lord is coming and someone is needed to prepare the way. And from his birth, John is set apart for this great task. So not just a son for Zechariah and Elizabeth, but one who will pave the way, build the road, prepare the nation for the Lord God Almighty to arrive in person. I remember as a sixth former being summoned out of class to the headmaster's office and that he wanted to speak with me, someone to whom I had never actually previously spoken. And I wasn't even sure up to that moment knew that I existed. What had I done wrong? I thought, what am I going to be told off for doing? I hadn't thought I'd done anything wrong, but suddenly all those thoughts came into my mind as I walked over to the headmaster's office. And I was greatly relieved to discover 
that the headmaster wanted to share good news with me, not tell me off. And I left in a very different spirit from the one that I arrived in. And hopefully Gabriel's reply helps to change the way we think about God as the bringer to our souls of good news, not great fear. And if our relationship with God has been based on our fear of our being afraid of him, if we've been keeping our distance from him as a result, Gabriel's words encourage us to think in a different way. When we think of God, we're to think of good news, not great fear. Like with John, God has a place for us in his great plan of salvation. John had a unique role to play in the coming of Christ. But his ministry of turning hearts back to God, well, that's something we can all play a part in here in Chesham. And if you know perhaps that your own heart needs to turn back to God, it's not, you're not right with God today, then today will be a great day, Advent Sunday 2020, to turn back to him and put your trust afresh in him. Not in fear, but because he has good news for you. Zechariah heard the call to turn away from fear, but actually we discover that he hasn't completely left his fears behind him. Have a look at verse 18. How can I be sure of this, he says? I'm an old man, and my wife is well on in years. And this brings us to our third and final point this morning. There is a right fear of God and a wrong fear of God. So up to now, we've been thinking primarily of, of, of what is a, a wrong fear of God, a fear that pulls us away from God, a fear of what he can do to us, of what he demands of us, a fear that he will punish us. And it's a fear rooted in a rebellious heart against God, what we might call an ungodly and sinful fear. But there's also a right fear of God, a fear which draws us towards God's holiness and beauty and grace, a fear that's born out of love, out of a thankful heart that longs to please our Heavenly Father and fears grieving him when we put other loves first. And that's what we might call a godly fear. A great example of these two fears being mentioned in the same verse comes in Exodus chapter 20, verse 20, when Moses tells the Israelites gathered around Mount Sinai straight after he's told them the, the Ten Commandments, they've heard the Ten Commandments, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. Both those different fears in the same verse. God doesn't want them to be afraid of him. He's just saved them from slavery in Egypt and before mighty wonders. They can have no doubt of his love and concern for them. That would be to have had a wrong fear of God. But nonetheless, there is a right godly fear which leads towards God and away from sin away from rebellion and disobedience. And all this explains why Gabriel, having heard Zechariah express his doubt that he and Elizabeth could give birth to a son given their age, despite what he's just told them, he goes on to strike Zechariah temporarily dumb. While he doesn't want Zechariah to be afraid to have that wrong fear, he does expect Zechariah to have a right fear, a sense of awe and respect for who it is that's speaking to him. I am Gabriel, the angel declares in verse 19. I stand in the presence of God. His credentials are unimpeachable. His words come straight from God Almighty himself, and they are totally trustworthy, the very words of God. 
and to give Zechariah more time to grasp this, a little bit of silence is required. It's the same sort of fear we have of fire and electricity. We're grateful for the warmth of the fire and the freedom electricity gives us to live our lives, but we do not treat them lightly. We don't put our hand in the fire, nor stick our fingers in the wall socket to see what will happen. We know that these forces have the power of life and death over us. And yet the right fear we're to have of God is far sweeter than the fear we have of fear and electricity. In Isaiah chapter 11, we're given a beautiful picture of the coming Messiah whose arrival John is to declare. We read that the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And his delight, we're told, shall be in the fear of the Lord. So the fear of the Lord isn't just something that the Messiah wishes to be without. It's, he's not reluctant about it. It's not he loves God, but he must reluctantly fear God as well. His whole delight is in the fear of the Lord. For this respect and awe for God is a, a right and proper thing to have. So there is this wrong fear of God and a right fear of God. Zechariah, it seems to me, was filled with the wrong sort of fear. And yet probably like many of us, both were at work in his heart and mind and soul. And the challenge is that by the grace of God, by the work of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, to, to rid our hearts of this ungodly wrong fear and to cultivate a godly right fear in its place. And if you like, Gabriel points the way, just as he stood and still stands in the presence of God. So the more time we spend in God's presence, the more time we spend listening and responding to his good news, the more time we spend together in his praise, the less afraid we will become and the more godly fear we will have. And the more our other fears and anxieties and worries will be kept in their place and the more like Jesus we will be. See, without God, our fears have come to rule us as a nation. When we see, like Zechariah, that God is in charge, that his plans are being worked out in our world, there is so much less to fear. Where Jesus truly rules, fear cannot rule. So as Advent begins, can I encourage us all to set aside some extra time to be in the presence of God, to read a gospel, to read a Christian book, to, to read a little chapter a day from uh, fearless faith, or to go deeper and read a book like Rejoice and Tremble, to spend time delighting in the Lord our God. Let's pray together. Just take a moment to bring before God the things that frighten us, that we are fearful of. And maybe to acknowledge those, how sometimes our fear of what God will change and do in our lives cause us to pull away in rebellion and fear. And then to be drawn by a right and awe and respect for God's good news, for his salvation, for his son, 
and for all she longs to pour into our lives, if we would but step into the light and step towards him. Oh, Father God, would you free us from our fears by putting you in your rightful place in our hearts and minds and souls. In Jesus' name, amen.